0: Democratic Party has a demographic advantage, and it has an advantage on almost every policy issue there is, yet they have somehow managed to lose 70% of the state legislatures and every branch of government.
1: This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. To support the work we do, get commercial-free versions of every episode, and members-only bonus content, visit the Contribute tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from Ring of Fire, The Zero Hour, The Jimmy Dore Show, Economic Update with Professor Richard Wolf The Majority Report, and The Young Turks.
2: On the Sunday morning talk shows this past weekend, CNN commentator Van Jones made it absolutely clear that the Democratic Party has to move beyond the days of Clinton, uh, both Hillary and Bill Clinton. Specifically, Van Jones called out the fact that uh, the Clinton administration and uh, democratic policies basically since the Clinton administration had thrown black people under the bus with their calls for prison reform, uh, mass incarcerations, and they threw workers under the bus with NAFTA and other disastrous trade deals and the Democratic Party's overall embrace of corporatism since the days of Bill Clinton. Now this analysis by Van Jones, not only is it 100% uh, percent spot on, it's something that the Democratic Party needs to hear. It's something that uh, Bernie Sanders hit on again and again during his campaign. And it's something that a lot of Democrats refuse to acknowledge as reality. There's too many progressive pundits out there right now saying that we still need to be a little bit moderate. We need to work with Republicans, not against them. And here's the kicker. A lot of them out there are, are comparing the progressive wing of the Democratic Party to the Tea Party, saying that they're just as dangerous to the Democratic Party. Uh, listen, the Democratic Party in the 20th century became the party of working class America by fighting against corporate interest and making sure that workers and average citizens and the underclass were completely taken care of so that they didn't slip further into poverty or fall into uh, you know these horrible health crises. That's what the Democratic Party built. It began earnestly with FDR and continued on since then until the days of Bill Clinton. That's when the party shifted a little bit more to the center. It happened again uh, with Barack Obama. Even though he promised us hope and change, he brought us nothing but liberal corporatism And that's why the party's in the situation that it is today. What massive gains has the Democratic Party had since the days of Bill Clinton? Sure, we elected the first black president. And then what? Then what happened to American workers? To uh, America in general? No huge progressive gains as a result of President Obama? All of the gains that have been made over the last recent years were through voter-powered initiatives at the local and state level. The Democratic Party needs to take a page out of these local playbooks because those people actually understand that progressivism wins. Progressivism is popular with both Democrats and Republicans. And when you keep corporations, uh, corporate influence out of it, you can achieve great things, and that's what Van Jones was talking about, It's what Bernie Sanders has been talking about, and that's what the entire Democratic Party needs to wake up and realize if they want to remain relevant in today's political culture.
3: So wake me up when-
4: Jones, you have this piece uh, in the New Republic, the case against unity, uh, because what we're seeing now, and this feels to me also like a form of policing, people are saying, well, we need to pull together in the the common threat of Mm -hmm. Trumpism. Um, But you don't agree.
5: I mean, I do agree that we need a strong national front. Um, So I agree as far as that goes. However, I want a national front that's actually going to work and not just oppose Trump, but oppose the ideology that put him into office. Um, And it's clear that the Democratic Party wasn't capable of doing that this time around, even when you factor in uh, mitigating circumstances. Uh, So if we want a national front that's actually going to defend vulnerable people who really need to be defended, then we need to seriously question the tactics we've been using until now and ask ourselves what we should be doing differently in the future. Yeah,
4: I mean, I think that should be uncontroversial. And I also think if we want to draw clear lines of demarcation, I mean, just take healthcare as one example. If mm-hmm. they want to say healthcare isn't a right, that, uh, a human right that should be available to all, it seems to me the best way to oppose that is by saying, Healthcare is a human right that should be available and affordable to all, as opposed to the kind of nuancing and splitting and, you know, well, maybe sometimes it is and maybe sometimes it isn't, or maybe you should have to spend 20% of your income or 15 or 30, you know, that that we should just say, no, you should be able to get healthcare. That's just one example, you know, or privatizing, selling off government resources and to private industry and letting them charge you to use it. If you don't want, like the fact that Trump's going to do that on a massive scale, maybe the best way to oppose it is by saying government is good at some things.
5: Right. Yeah, absolutely. And especially for talking about economic recovery, I think there is a real opportunity to do that. I mean, the government is actually a major job creator. Um, Government can be a good thing. And I think the Democrats kind of largely failed to message around that.
4: Yeah, no, I would, I I completely agree with that. So, You start out in your piece, uh, The Case Against Unity, uh, you start out by saying that the party coalesced around a deeply flawed and unpopular candidate. Um, have you gotten a lot of pushback for saying that? I, I still feel that's one of the things that gets police say. You're not supposed to say she was an unpopular candidate. You're supposed to say that Putin stole it and Comey stole it. And that's the only reason why it turned out the way it did. And besides, she got more popular votes.
5: Right. I do think there's still some pushback as far as that goes. Um, People are reluctant to admit that maybe, you know, it was Clinton's candidacy herself. And I do think it's true that we still live in a very sexist country. And a lot of the criticisms directed at Clinton were rooted in a very old misogyny. Um, But I, I find it very strange the way that the Democratic Party sort of behaved almost as if this was a coronation rather than a nomination process. Um, you know, the sort of anger at Sanders for for announcing a competing bid as if she shouldn't have to compete for the nomination of the party. It was very strange. Um, and I think it's prevented people from really casting a critical eye on her and what her campaign could have done differently.
4: Yeah, I think that's right. And I think that, uh, I think there's another, I, I, I personally think that, uh, Identity politics. I mean, uh, the, the 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 distinction between the politics of identity, whether it's gender, race, or religion, or any other uh, ethnicity or any other characteristic, the the, the idea that that's at war. With and I'm not saying look, I I was Bernie Sanders' writer in the campaign. I'm not saying he did a perfect job communicating on mm-hmm. any issue. Nobody does a perfect job. But the notion that it's either or, and that if you bring up economic issues, you're ignoring issues of identity. If you criticize a politician who's mm-hmm. a woman or a person of color, uh, uh, that that somehow you're not allowed to do that. It seems to me that there's an oppositional quality between identity. And economic issues that would be unthinkable to Martin Luther King or Malcolm X or Cesar Chavez or, or, or the early feminists. It seems to me that's a new thing. That, that's Is it being exploited, you think, for ideological reasons or what's going on?
6: Yeah,
5: I don't think there's any conflict between economic populism and identity politics. So the, there was it was very strange to see poor people kind of set up this false dichotomy and bat it around um, because it doesn't there isn't a conflict there, and if there is one, it's been manufactured. Um, so I find that I found that very odd. I mean, I think economic inequality absolutely has to be part of this conversation. I think most reasonable people now um, would agree, and it's certainly possible. Uh, And indeed, even necessary to criticize candidates who are from minority backgrounds, like Hillary Clinton. Um, And those those criticisms aren't always going to be sexist. Um, Sometimes they're just going to be rooted in, you know, opinion or or observations. And, you know, the person making those criticisms isn't necessarily a sexist for doing it.
4: Yeah, you know, I, I actually heard the comment made that all the male progressives who had supported Elizabeth Warren and were now for president and we're now opposing Hillary Clinton, uh, it, it, that there's no contradiction because they wouldn't have really supported Elizabeth Warren if she had actually run. So it yeah. it, it actually got to that point. And um, in terms of the case against unity, there's something else I wanted to... Uh, mention with you, Sarah Jones, which is it seems to me that you're not allowed to say something that seems self uh, by in certain quarters, I should say, to say something that also seems self-evident to me, which is that there are ideological differences within the Democratic Party that Mm -hmm. a Bernie Sanders, uh, a Keith Ellison, a Raul Raul Grijalva, uh, and Elizabeth Warren uh, actually has a different view of government's role in society and in economy than, for example, Hillary Clinton or Tim Kane. It seems to me that it should be okay to say, you know, Hillary Clinton, for example, last year during the campaign said, I want to marry the public and private sectors. It should be okay to say, I don't want to marry the public and private sectors, and that's that. Seems to me when you know you 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 talk about a case against unity, it seems to me that that's exactly what the political process is supposed to hash out. Obviously, neither side of that conversation is as extremist or and is or as hate driven as a Donald Trump or a Paul Ryan. But but it seems to me, why can't we have that conversation?
5: Yeah, I'm not sure. I, mean, I don't think people would necessarily dispute that these ideological differences exist in the Democratic Party. What I've been seeing lately is a sort of plea for us to put those aside. Um, and it's not new after Trump's election. We heard the same thing um, during the primary and during the general election, too. And I think that's a mistake. I think the Democratic Party doesn't really have a coherent political identity now. I'm not sure that it has for decades, as a matter of fact. Um, and if we're going to get there, we need to be having this conversation. All I need from you
3: is a good conversation, conversation, because it gives.
1: What if you could make the world a little bit better every time you used your cell phone? With Credo Mobile, now you can, because whenever you use a Credo product or service, you generate critical donations for progressive causes and vital activism work at no extra cost to you. They donate over $150,000 every month to some of my favorite nonprofits like the ACLU, Friends of the Earth, Social Security Works, and they've been Planned Parenthood's largest corporate donor for years now. When it comes to voting with your dollars, this is one of the biggest impacts you can have. And, of course, their services are great. They offer coverage on the nation's largest and most dependable 4G LTE network, and you can easily transfer over with your existing number. So if you want a better world for all of us and a better way to stay connected to it, you want Credo Mobile. If you're ready to switch, go to credomobile.com bestofleft, and you'll get $100 off a new smartphone plus $15 off your monthly line fee for two years. That's C-R-E-D-O mobile dot com slash Best of the Left. Or you can call them directly at 800-654-3182 and just mention Best of the Left to get the deal.
3: The
6: first paragraph says liberals like to believe that if only Democrats can continue to dominate national elections, if only those awful Republicans are beaten into the submission, then the country will be on the right track. Unfortunately, this view fundamentally misunderstands the modern democratic party. Explain to me what you mean by that
7: that it's uh well look it's all it's all self evident now this is so that was written the book was published in March you know. I was at the time trying to persuade Democrats that their strategy for winning elections wasn't necessary i mean it seems it almost seems um you know um, like a waste of time to to talk about it now, but I was trying to persuade them that their strategy for winning national elections was not necessarily a good one. You know if you only focus on the presidential election and you figure you 've got it in the bag no matter what all the time it 's going to lead to all sorts of i mean just in just in tactical terms here. Um, uh, to uh, complacency. I mean, which you saw in spades in the, the Hillary Clinton campaign, you know, Compl- I mean, this is, these are people that just could not get, <laughs> could not get excited about anything. You know, the, they, the, the sort of unofficial slogan of the campaign was America is already great. You know? <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's just a recipe for putting people to sleep. There's uh, you know, they were just completely out of touch with discontent you know, and you can't have a left party that's just so in, a, in such an in your face way, a party of the affluent, and the well to do, and of the contented. You know, that doesn't work. That, you, I mean, it, it'll work from time to time, you know, and, but these guys think, uh, you know, by the way, Jimmy, did I tell you, I live here in um, the suburbs of Washington, D.C. Uh-huh. And so I spend a lot of time, I spend a lot of time around these people. I mean, that's where all of this comes from. And uh, when, when I wrote this book, one of the one of the there's a lot of things that made me write it. But one of them was sitting there and listening to somebody explain to me the theory of what they call the coalition of the ascendant. <laughs> you remember this? Yes. And this is basically this is basically the idea that Democrats could never lose national elections from here on, from here to eternity. They could never lose. And so therefore, they didn't have to do anything. To, they didn't have to serve anybody. They didn't have to do anything different. And the only people that they had to do favors for were, you know, Wall Street, Silicon Valley, Big Pharma. This is who they had. This was the that was the swing vote of American politics. That was the group that they had to reach out to were these particular industries. And you saw this with Hillary's campaign where who was the group she was after? She was trying to win over. It's suburban, highly educated Republicans. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and and uh, and uh, well, that didn't work. I, I, but it's look at the end of the day, we have this. I don't particularly like the two party system. You've read the book, so you know that I kind of hate the two party system. But that's what we've got. And the Democrats are the left party in that system. And for a left party to, uh, you know, to do these things and to, to make itself into a voice of the contented, the voice of the affluent, the voice of the professional class, you can pull that off for a short, you know, a short amount of time. But in the long term, that's that's disaster. We just saw it. She lost to a man who had no business running for president.
6: You are correct. So I want to start at the beginning. If people actually knew what Bill Clinton and Barack Obama actually did instead of what they think they did or how those two guys made people feel inside that they would be screaming bloody murder, which is what I've been doing ever since I read yeah. your book, and before I've been doing this for quite a while. And then I read your book, and I actually have to stop reading it for long periods of time because it would make me too angry.
7: I apologize for that. Reading, I mean, look, I was just—I was doing my best to describe my own. I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm like in my 50s, now and I'm trying to describe my frustration with this party, you know, as the years go by and i'm just going to repeat some of the stuff i've seen you say you've talked about how uh you know neoliberalism capitalism is collapsing all over the world this is true to a certain degree they just went through this incredible the system just went through incredible crisis uh and it's you know we've come out the other end but like in what kind of condition it's not good inequality gets worse all the time and uh and we've got this left party in America that can't seem to. Well, look, I'm 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 talking in way too broad strokes here. We should come down to particulars because you just said something very important. If people knew what Clinton and Obama actually did, you know, the actual policies of these guys, rather than think about them in, in uh, these hazy. Yeah, you're exactly right. It would make you very angry. Very angry. Can I take a step back here? When I'm writing this book, I did not. Read any of the Bill Clinton hate literature, you know, like in the '90s, there are all these books put out by right wingers about how, how he, you know, they accused him of murder, they accused him of running drugs, they accused him of, of uh, ridiculous things, and I didn't didn't touch any of that stuff. I my critique of Bill Clinton all derives from uh, books and journalism by his supporters. And by his admirers, that's what I used. Yes, uh, and same same with Obama. Uh, that's that
6: was the only way to be fair to these guys. I thought. So let's start with Bill Clinton. What happened was Ronald Reagan was very popular. He started the beginning of the end for unions, middle class, and workers in America. I point to the PATCO strike where he fired all the air traffic controllers, and he set the he, he and Margaret Thatcher. Really ushered in neoliberalism. They called it, you know, conservatism. It was really what was the beginning of neoliberalism, which is this trickle down, screw over workers, outsource jobs. And if it's good for Wall Street, it's good for America kind of thinking, which, uh, coincidentally, ever since that was instituted, the uh, workers in America haven't seen a raise and all the wealth that has been generated in this economy has gone to the upper 10%, most of it going to the upper 1% and that our politics, that the the end result of of policy it's been proven by the Princeton study has no correlation with 90% of what the electorate wants. There's 90% of what people want. The bottom 90% income earners, their desires are never reflected in legislation, except for the upper 10%, which is completely correctly correlated with how many people in the upper 10% want legislation and what actually gets passed. So we're living in what yeah, Paul Krugman is exactly correct. Yes. Paul Krugman will openly admit. Paul Krugman, a, a rabid Clinton supporter and Bernie Batcher will openly admit, which he's done on video, that we live in an oligarchy. Yet his prescription lately to fix it is more oligarchy. So he so I just wanted you to talk about yes. what did Bill Clinton do? that people don't realize what he did because what he did was things that Republicans could only dream about the way that he passed NAFTA, a Republican couldn't the way he gutted welfare a Republican couldn't. And the way he exploded the prison population at the same time, repealing the new deal bank regulations, Republicans couldn't do any of these things. It took a Democrat who spoke the words of populism, then go back doors and do those things. And you make the case that bill Clinton was actually the greater evil in both of his elections. Can you talk about the initial letdown of the American workers by Bill Clinton and the Democrats? Absolutely.
7: Well, it's because it's because Bill Clinton got things done where a Republican never would. And the things that he got done were were profoundly bad. Uh, But take a step back here. What you said about Reagan and Thatcher, you're describing that was, was 15 when Reagan got elected. But you're describing my that is the background of my entire adult life is the neoliberal term. And this has been going on and it chugs on and it goes and goes and goes. And my entire um, career has been concerned with explaining how this happened and how it keeps going and how we keep, why we keep voting for it. And this, what's the matter with Kansas was one part of that story. And this, this is really, this is the other part. Okay. Bill Clinton is is an absolutely essential player in this story. Okay. If you read Clinton's, the books by Clinton's supporters and admirers, They say that he had five achievements as president, five big achievements. He had a lot of little things. He did all sorts of little things here and there, but he had five big things. I'm going to go down the list real quickly. NAFTA is the first one. The crime bill of 94 is the second one. Deregulation of banks, deregulation of telecoms is three. Uh, welfare reform is four. And uh, balanced budget is the fifth. Okay. So there's two things about those achievements All of them are Republican. Every single one of them is a Republican measure or in the case of budget balancing or Republican obsession Um, or in the case of bank deregulation, this is part of the Republican theology, you know, the theology of free markets. And then the other thing is every single one of these things with the exception of the balanced budget, every single one of these things ended in disaster. I'd say the balanced budget ended in disaster too, but that's arguable. You can take both sides on that. But, you know, the idea of balancing the budget in the teeth of a recession, which Clinton did, uh, you know, whenever, when we talk about, and then, by the way, this gets back to Krugman, who has a very interesting, well, I don't know if it's interesting, but, you know, when you talk about the, uh, the, the push towards austerity now, when you saw it with Obama and you see it in Europe, you know, these people turning towards austerity in the face as the answer to hard times, and you wonder why they do that. Uh, they always have one historical example that they can point back to where it was successful. Clinton! <laughs> <laughs> it's this guy, it's like, it's like everything goes back to this guy, you know, it's, uh, it's extraordinary, but these are all things that the Republicans wanted, but that they couldn't get, okay, NAFTA was negotiated by Republicans, but they couldn't pass it, they remember Congress in those days was controlled by uh old school Democrats, and they had, they had controlled Congress since the 1930s, uh almost continuously, and th- there's no way they were going to pass NAFTA, it took a Democratic president, you know, with Rahm Emanuel at his side, setting up his war room and doing all this stuff and steamrolling these guys uh, to get it done. OK, and you go over the, the rest of them. They're, they're all uh, essentially uh, Republican measures where he was trying to out like with the crime bill. He was trying to outdo the Republicans. He was going to show that he was even tougher than them, you know. Uh, or welfare reform, which was another Republican, well, it was Republican legislation straight up. I mean, all of these things were. Uh Telecom deregulation, all of them. Uh, anyhow, every single one of them, catastrophe. But this also leads to, you have a, a huge problem when you make that man's wife your presidential candidate, which is that you can't talk straight about these things. You can't you know, you, because you're, you're too afraid of tarnishing the Clinton name, you know, the Clinton wing of the party. You don't want to make them feel bad. Um, and this is, by the way, I mean, in my opinion, Hillary Clinton is the only one of the Democrats out there that, that Trump could have beaten. Trump is a ter- terrible candidate, like one, the worst presidential candidate we have ever seen. But he had this one issue. He had this one killer issue, trade it was absolutely that's where you know he's out there turning uh, union rank and file guys against the, against their leadership. you know he's winning all these rural areas. What the hell is going on? It's because Hillary Clinton is uniquely vulnerable to that issue because of NAFTA. And then additionally because she's Secretary of State under Obama and negotiating the TPP. And she, no matter what he says, how she twists and turns and recants and says she changed her mind and has had a change of heart and, you know, uh, and says it in the most convincing way she can, which is not very convincing. No matter what she says, she is stuck with that word NAFTA. And by the way, this is, um, uh, it, you know, NAFTA took some time to sink in. Uh, if people didn't realize, uh, even if you were against it at the time, but it's only as the years passed and management would use it in contract negotiations with their unions and with, with labor of all kinds. It'd be like, you know, if if you, we don't like what you're doing, we don't, you know, if you complain in, in the factory, boom, we're moving, we're moving overseas because of NAFTA. NAFTA lets us do that. It was a weapon that they could use over their workers. And today, you know, when I go around to t- and talk to people, uh, working class people, they hate NAFTA and they do not forgive Clinton for it. They're still bitter about it. I mean, probably more bitter now than they were at the time. And what it's you, taken you, it's become like
6: What do you, what do you say to the people because I've been on news panels with progressive news hosts who say that people in the Rust Belt have no idea what the TPP is or NAFTA. Don't add nobody voted on that? What do you say to those those geniuses?
7: Well, I, I don't know about the TPP specifically, but we know how many people voted on trade. The trade issue it was in the uh, in exit polls. And I'm sure we'll be able to dig deeper into it as the time passes and more stuff comes out. But for one thing, this is Trump's a number one issue. You know, it, uh, he talks about it constantly. If you watched his rallies, he, the whole rally would be about trade. And he'd always come back to it. He'd wander away and talk about something else. But then he would come back to trade. Always comes back to this is the great betrayal. This is when the Democrats slipped the knife between the ribs of their ally, organized labor uh, and workers, working class people in general. And everybody knows it. And what you're just what you just described is something like I said, I live here in D.C., something I encounter all the time. And it's basically the bad conscience of the Democrats. They have uh, they will not admit this is a real issue. Uh, You know, they say, well, you know, they they come up with all sorts of can I say um, bullshit on your show? Yes. They come up with all sorts of, sorts of bullshit statistics to try to make the trade deals look good. Um, they, you know, they turn to sort of neoclassical economic theory to insist that trade deals can never do anything wrong. They'll say anything. Uh, it's funny that, you know, because this is their great betrayal. This is when they, you know, turned to their former rank and file of the Democratic Party, the working class of this country, and said, you know, screw you, and for whatever reason they have never been able to walk that back and they will it's 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 psychologically basic basically the reaction that you just described and that i've been seeing all these years here in dc is a psychological reaction it's not related to facts or reality it's them trying desperately to rationalize a betrayal that they committed and that they are uh, in turn committed to uh, and they will that they will never walk back
8: Well, an interesting thing happened a week or so ago. It was captured on video, and so it became a kind of viral story, and it is one that I want to comment on in case you missed it. A young man at a town hall organized by the network CNN had a confrontation, a very mild and polite one, between a young college student, named Trevor Hill, and the leader, the Democratic leader in the House of Representatives, Representative Nancy Pelosi from the Bay Area in California. Young Mr. Hill cited a poll taken last spring by Harvard University's Institute of Politics, and it showed that a random sample Of young Americans from the ages of 18 to 29, not just Democrats or anything, but a random collection, no longer support the system of capitalism. They are either in favor of socialism or have serious doubts and criticisms of capitalism. And young Mr. Hill's question to Nancy Pelosi was, Are the Democrats, your party, Ms. Pelosi, willing to move to the left to accommodate, to respond to, to reflect the views of the young people that are of course growing into being the majority of American people with the passage of time? Nancy Pelosi's response was very quick and i'm going to quote it to you quote well i thank you for your question she said and then continuing her her words but i have to say we're capitalist and that's just the way it is end of quotation i think mrs pelosi is quite right the democratic party is capitalist in the sense that it accepts, supports, endorses, encourages, all that kind of word, the capitalist economic system that is dominant here in the United States. And in that way, the Democratic Party is exactly like the Republican Party, which feels the same way about the capitalist system. And I mean all of the Republican Party, the George Bush type of Republican Party, the Paul Ryan type of Republican Party, and the Donald Trump type of Republican Party. Indeed, all three of those names, Bush, Ryan, Trump, are themselves capitalists. And so it's hardly surprising. But this raises a question. What does it say about a society like the United States that the two major parties that completely and absolutely dominate the federal government, the state government, and basically most local governments in the United States, that these two parties have no substantial difference about the capitalist system? That the leaders of both parties would respond just as Mrs. Pelosi did by saying, of course, we're capitalist, and that's just the way it is. Here's what it tells you. There is no opposition to capitalism in the United States that takes a political form. We know from the Harvard poll that Trevor Hill quoted That there's lots of opposition to capitalism in the society. We know that millions of people voted for Bernie Sanders, who described himself as a democratic socialist. So we know that there's widespread feelings, views, attitudes that are critical of capitalism and that would like a better or different economic system in its place. So here's what we've got. A society with grave doubts, widespread criticism of capitalism, but it lacks any political party able or willing to express, to organize, to mobilize that perspective. And that makes the United States different from most other capitalist economies. That is, most other countries in which the capitalist system prevails. Because in most other countries where capitalism prevails, there are political parties that are critical of capitalism, opposed to capitalism, pursuing other systems. They're stronger in some countries and weaker in others. They carry names like socialist, communist, anti-capitalist, and so on. But the United States lacks a political party that could put forward a critique of capitalism and a program for moving to another system. And yet there's every evidence that if such a party emerged... And if it positioned itself in that way, it would have, very quickly, a very sizable constituency, as young Trevor Hill and his question clearly implied. It makes one wonder whether the absence of such an anti-capitalist political party in the United States really has very little to do with the population's feelings, views, needs, or desires, and a great deal to do with the concerted effort by Republicans and Democrats to avoid any competition from such a party. Please keep that in mind. The next time you hear a leading Republican and or Democrat give one of those July 4th speeches about the virtues of competition, please keep in mind how those very same people have been and continue to do everything in their power to avoid, repress, suppress anything and everything that moves in the direction of producing a party that would respect and reflect huge anti-capitalist political perspectives. That's what was behind the squelching of the Occupy Wall Street movement under Obama. That was likewise the squelching of Bernie Sanders' movement by the Clinton part of the Democratic Party. Of which Mrs. Pelosi was a leading and is a leading member. It is important to keep that in mind. If
6: it's not what you want, you can change it. If it's not what you want, don't take it. If it's losing its lustre, baby. Just call on me anytime. Cut and loose sing it out with the oh. oh, oh, oh.
1: Today's episode is sponsored by Blue Apron, who delivers fresh, perfectly portioned ingredients for great meals right to your door for less than the cost of eating out. Blue Apron was founded with tackling food waste in mind, and they're making a big impact by only sending you exactly what you need to make great meals at home. Plus, you can customize your dietary restrictions and your weekly menu so that you're always getting something you're sure to enjoy. If you're ready to try it out for yourself, just a couple of meals they're serving up this month include noodle soup with miso and soft-boiled eggs and fresh, basil with datterini tomato fettuccine so check out this week's menu for yourself and get the first three meals for free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash best you will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with blue apron so don't wait that's blueapron.com slash best blue apron a better way to cook
9: Here is uh, Keith Ellison, uh, also at uh, the headquarters of the American Federation of Teachers in Washington, D.C. Uh, in fact, that's, that's Randy Weingarten behind him, I think. Yeah, uh, that's and, Randy. Um, and uh, here he is. He's talking about the reliable... I guess characteristics of the Republican Party and the the not so reliable characteristics of the Democratic Party, which he would like to instill.
3: What are we going to do? We can always count on them to say that rich people don't have enough money and the poor folks have too much money. We can always count on them to say the rich folks need one more tax cut, one more regulation they don't have to follow, and regular working people need one less thing that's going to help them make it through the week. Okay, so that's them. What about us? Are we going to hit the streets? Are we going to organize? This is what we got to do. And one of the main things we've got to do right now is reset the future of the Democratic Party. We gotta reset the Democratic Party on the basis of grassroots activism. We gotta reset the Democratic Party on the basis of working people who are striving every single day to make a better life for themselves and their families right here in America. I'm talking about African Americans white Americans, Latino Americans, Native Americans. I'm talking about Asian Americans. I'm talking about people who are Jewish and Muslim and Christian and Buddhist and Hindu and any or no faith at all. I'm talking about folks. I'm talking about folks like you and me. I'm talking about folks like us need to say that the Democratic Party has gotta be democratic and it starts with getting some leadership in there that's gonna fight for that democracy. And I'm telling you right now, guys, this is the moment we have been waiting for. It's the time for us to stand up and fight back and reclaim our nation. Are y'all ready? <gasps> there it
9: is. What a Bernie bro.
3: Total Bernie bro.
9: Total Bernie bro. Um, there's really uh, been some uh, pushback, and I don't know if it's just a function of, like, who's going to get the assets uh, from the DNC and who is going to be the face and what is going to be the rhetoric. But, um, you know regardless of your politics it, you know within this narrow space of uh, you know the the within the, the democratic party can you really justify going with the losers i mean just Fantastic even from a pra- but even just honestly on a pragmatic standpoint like you lost you lost you had one job and you lost it I- and
3: everything new, things I used to do, I don't do no more, places I used to go, I can't go no more, the way I used to see things, I got a brand new view, it's out.
1: reached the activism portion of today's show. Now that you're informed and angry, here's what you can do about it. Today's activism, help elect Keith Ellison as Democratic National Committee Chair. The sad news is that if Minnesota Representative Keith Ellison is elected as DNC Chair, he has pledged to leave the U.S. House of Representatives. The good news is, if he wins, he will be dedicating all of his time to launching a county-focused, grassroots effort to rebuild the Democratic Party from the bottom up. Democracy Spring is just the latest in a string of progressive organizations and media to announce their endorsement of Ellison for DNC chair. In their endorsement announcement, Democracy Spring said, quote, The Democratic Party will only represent everyday people if we organize and mobilize to make it so. We have to tell the members of the DNC that the party needs to fiercely resist Trump, break its ties with big money, and embrace the bold and unapologetically progressive agenda of its voters. Keith Ellison is the candidate to help us make that happen. But with the vote happening next week, Democracy Spring's endorsement was also a call to action. The organization is asking their supporters to volunteer to organize local delegations to hold small actions and or make calls to put direct pressure on DNC members in their state to elect Ellison. With less than a week to go before the vote, we have to act quickly. The Democracy Spring Google Doc sign-up page link is a bit long, so I can't tell you what it is, but look for the link in the show notes and then sign up and start a delegation to make calls. You can also learn more about how to promote Ellison and his ideas on social media by following at EllisonCampaign on Twitter and by going to KeithFordBNC.org. As usual, we want to ask that you help us in our work to amplify the most effective activism. If you have come across an action or an organization that is doing great work getting people engaged to resist the Trump agenda, please share it with us by emailing Amanda at bestoftheleft.com. The segment notes include all of the links to this information as well as additional resources, and as always, this and every activism segment we produce is archived and organized under the Activism tab at bestoftheleft.com. So if making sure Democrats represent the people and not corporations is important to you, be sure to hit the share buttons to spread the word about electing Keith Ellison as DNC Chair via social media so that others in your network can spread the word too.
6: i Change and I should soon I'll sway the old thing with the new I'm moving on and so should you
0: now the Democratic Party used to represent something wonderful uh, voters <laughs> and they were actually progressives, and they got a lot of things done. That is not a myth. Uh, there's this idea that, well, Democrats are weak and they uh, are, were always ineffectual. Not remotely true. FDR was a Democrat, he gave us Social Security. Later we wound up getting Medicare, Medicaid, and all these wonderful things, all brought to you by strong progressives, including Lyndon Johnson, at least on the social front, including the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act, all brought to you by strong progressives. And it wasn't just presidents or politicians. There were great activists like uh, Martin Luther King, who was a very strong progressive and also got us the Civil Rights and Voting Rights Act, but but not just on social issues, but also on economic issues. There was Ralph Nader. Remember, Ralph Nader saved millions of lives by getting uh, seatbelts in the cars, and he had to fight giant multinational corporations to do that, but he won, isn't that amazing? back when you could actually beat multinational corporations. But to give you a sense of how strong the Democratic Party and progressives used to be in this country, back during Nixon's administration, Nixon was so intimidated by progressives like Ralph Nader that he's the one who started the Environmental Protection Agency and OSHA to protect workers in America. Progressives were so strong, we got Nixon to start the EPA and OSHA. So don't tell me it isn't possible for there to be strong Democrats. I know there are. But what wound up happening to the Democratic Party? Well, there was a hostile takeover. So multinational corporations decided, hey, you know what? Uh, We need the Supreme Court on our side. And they had a guy named Lewis Powell write a memo about how they could take over the Supreme Court. And lo and behold, Richard Nixon, in his revenge, put Lewis Powell on the Supreme Court. And what did Powell do? He was the deciding vote in two Supreme Court cases that allowed for corporations took money to put money into politics. And lo and behold, corporations took over the Republican Party, of course, immediately, who were ready for that takeover. That, that takeover was not hostile. And then they took over the Democratic Party. And I asked Ralph Nader, I said, you're running roughshod. You're getting Nixon to do whatever you want. What happened? He said, we ran into a brick wall. Once a congressman by the name of Tony Coyo, but it really could have been any of them, told the rest of the Democrats, hey, you know what? You can take corporate cash just like the Republicans it's now legal. And once that happened, the Democratic Party slowly became the establishment Democrats, the corporate Democrats that you know now. Well, that has led to disaster and ruin. And the reason for it is actually quite s- simple. Let me quote you the Barney Frank rule. And, and this is a rule that uh, that Barney Frank said to one of our reporters, Jordan Chern, in the middle of this election season. He said, what do you want us to do? Not take any of the banker money? Well, isn't it better that we take 20% of the banker money? And my resounding answer to Barney Frank is no, it is not better. Because if you only take 20% of the banker money and the big donor money and the multinational corporation money, you set yourself up as the perpetual losing team. You are the Washington Generals to the Harlem Globetrotters. You have agreed to and take part in a system where you are paid to lose. If you base all the campaigns on money, and the other guys take more corporate money than you do, and you agree to that system, why would you do that? Of course, that leads to failure and ruin, and we are in ruin. So I'm going to tell you how we're going to take the Democratic Party back. But to give you one more sense of how bad it is right now, Donald Trump, the most unpopular person to ever run for president in the history of the United States of America, defeated Hillary Clinton, the standard bearer. For the establishment Democrats, for the corporate Democrats. They were so proud of her. They were so sure that she was going to win. And she lost to the most unpopular person. Do you know that Donald Trump had an unpopularity rating of 60% on the day of the election? 60% disapproved in the country, but he won anyway. That it gives you some sense of... What a disaster the Democratic Party has become. Of course, they lost the House. They lost the Senate. They couldn't fill a Supreme Court vacancy that was sitting there open for about a year. But to me, the most devastating stat is they have lost 69 out of the 99 state legislatures. <laughs> Republicans hold
3: 70%
0: of the legislatures across the country at the state level. Democratic Party has a demographic advantage, and it has an advantage on almost every policy issue there is. Yet they have somehow managed to lose 70% of the state legislatures and every branch of government. Can you describe incompetence that is greater than that? I think they have maxed out on incompetence. So that is why we must choose a new path. And that is what we embark upon today. What we need to do is take over the Democratic Party. And as Martin Luther King said when he did the Civil Rights Movement, he said he was doing it not just to help African Americans, but to save the soul of America. Here we're going to try to save the soul of the Democratic Party by boarding the Democratic Party's ship and taking it over. How are we going to do that? We're going to run strong progressives. And we are launching today something that will represent not the donors, not the multinational corporations, but just us. So this is a perfectly fine hashtag to use, and I was thinking of using it when we were initially coming up with this idea. And I thought it, I looked at it, and I was like, just us, just us. Perhaps what we're really seeking is justice. We want you to represent just us, not your donors. Just the voters, not your donors. So, from now on, there will be a new wing of the Democratic Party. And it will be the justice Democrats. We will seek social justice, economic justice, racial justice, And plain old justice, justice for the American worker. If you are aggrieved, you are right. When the media tells you, oh, no, 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 the status quo is wonderful, it's not true. When the establishment tells you everything is going fine, it's not true, and you know it. You know why? Your productivity has been sky high. You, the American worker, have not erred. You have done the right things. But your wages have been stagnant since right around 1980, when the corporations took over the Democratic Party and there was no longer any resistance to their platform. And what has happened since then? Minimum wages stagnated. In fact, all the wages have stagnated. That is not an accident because multinational corporations did in fact rig the system by buying politicians, including Democrats. We're going to upend that. We're going to change that. So who are we? Well, yes, of course, the TYT network is involved. That's why I'm here. Uh, one of the Co-founders of the Just Democrats and one of the uh, writers of the platform was Kyle Kalinske, host of Secular Talk. But there is a whole other component. Uh, A significant portion of Bernie Sanders' team that ran that wonderful campaign is now with the Justice Democrats. So we have got uh, two senior advisors, uh, including the folks who organized a lot of the states, uh, and their team on the side of the Justice Democrats. So Zach Exley is on our board. uh, Kyle's on our board. I'm on the board. But also, uh, Saikot is a person who was involved in organizing on the technology front, and he is going to be our executive director, okay? So I think that we are on to something that is going to be amazing. But what we need is your help. Now, if this is going to work, it can't be just people from Bernie's team and TYT, and we think this is an important and interesting idea. You've got to like the idea, and you have to propel it forward. So, there's a new website, uh, that will, uh, give you all the directions on what to do, but, uh, I need you to go to there to do three specific things. First of all, the website is justicedemocrats.com. And the things that I need you to do is, first of all, just sign up. Just let us know that you agree. You want strong progressives. You want a primary corporate Democrats. You want progressives to take back the party, okay? So that's the easiest thing in the world, takes you five seconds. The second thing I want you to do is, we are going to actually get nominees to run in congressional races from you guys. So this is not a top down in that sense. You have to bring it from the bottom up. You have to participate. If you don't participate, well, this will fizzle. And then the pundits in the media will say, oh, we knew it. No, no, no. The voters do want corporate Democrats. The voters do love the establishment. They do want the status quo. You've got to prove them wrong. Now, you can nominate yourself. But what I would prefer is if you nominated someone else in your community who you think would be great at representing you and representing the entire community. Because the whole point of this is to get your representatives into the House of Representatives, to Senate as well. But they've been representing their owners all this time. Give me people who are not politicians, but who actually care to do the job right, who actually care to represent people. Go ahead and nominate people. It doesn't take that long. just got to tell us who you are, who they are, and tell us a simple reason why they should be the nominee. Now, look, I suspect that we are going to get hundreds and hundreds of nominees, and we will look through those. And it doesn't mean that every person is going to get selected. We're going to have to go through a selection process. But at the end, I believe we will have wonderfully strong candidates. And they will be real Americans. And they will not be politicians in it for themselves. From time to time, if there's a young, budding person who cared about politics who was already in, and we think there are strong Democrats who agree to the platform, great, then we will do that. By the way, on Justice Democrats dot com you'll also see the platform you can click on that and read it for yourself so point number one is we they are not none of our candidates are allowed to take corporate money or big donor money that is because if we do that then we're just going to turn into the corporate democrats so we will not be going down that road we will be going down the road of representing the people being sourced by the people and getting our funding from the people and so finally of course uh there will also be a button to donate there, and you can make this campaign as strong as possible and participate in any way that you can. So, I know what the establishment will say about this. They will say, well, now, Jen, at a time uh, where there's a Donald Trump, we all have to unify, the Democrats have to unify in fighting him. Now, unity sounds wonderful, in theory, and I agree with unity. But Am I going to unify behind them? The answer is, hell no. If you tell me that we gotta fight Donald Trump, I'll say, hey, I'm ready to lead that parade. If you say to me, we've gotta fight against Donald Trump, but meanwhile, you have to agree to our corporate economic principles, no, the answer is a resounding no. We will not unify. We will not unify behind you. We will not unify behind your losing strategy. We will not unify behind Democrats who don't represent us and who aren't even progressive. So your answer to unity on that front is no. Now, if your claim is that you actually want unity, great, then unify behind us. Read the platform. It's perfectly progressive. If you claim to be a progressive, you'd be totally in favor of it. So great, you want unity. Let's go unify behind that platform. You see, they don't want unity they want compliance and our answer to that is hell no so the second thing they'll do is they will beseech now you can't do primaries against these wonderful democrats that have been around for 30 40 years serving the american people oh yes we can we will primary them aggressively very very aggressively So it doesn't mean you're going to primary every Democrat there is. There's a progressive caucus who's done a wonderful job. But the rest of you, you are on notice. So if you want to straighten up and you want to actually do progressive priorities, great. If you don't, we are going to come for you. And if you think it's the old days where you can be cute and, hey, I voted the right way on a couple of social issues, but whenever there was an economic issue, I sided with the corporations who are my donors and I didn't side with my voters. Well, there's this thing called the Internet. Welcome. We already know your voting record, and we see it day to day. And we already know who your donors are. The times when you can trick us, because all there was was old TV media are gone. So we do not agree, and we will primary you very, very aggressively. So come and join us. Show them where... The Democratic Party should go. Let us retake that ship and head it in the right direction. Justicedemocrats.com, sign up, nominate people, donate, fight in however way you can. And either we will get those Democrats to line up and get real unity behind us, or we will defeat them. Because the last thing we're going to do is go into another presidential election and run a corporatist against a populist candidate. The last thing we're going to do is endanger the republic and the whole world by letting a clown like Donald Trump win, because we picked a candidate that was pro-status quo, pro-establishments, pro-multinational corporations. The American people are not stupid. They saw through it. They said no matter how terrible Trump is, and by the way, 17% of his own voters thought he was uh, not qualified for office, but they voted for him anyway, because they were desperate for change. We're gonna give America something they actually want, change from the left. Almost every policy position we have in our platform is exactly what the American people say according to the polling, not according to me, not according to the other founders, but according to the polling. So yes, we represent the mainstream of America. We're going to recapture one of those, the uh, current parties that exist right now, and then we're gonna have a real fight with the likes of Trump and the Republican Party and the establishment. But the fight starts now, it starts today, and it starts with you. Justicedemocrats.com
1: We just heard clips today from Ring of Fire commenting on Van Jones' call for an end to the Clinton days. The Zero Hour spoke with Sarah Jones from the New Republic about what unity really means. The Jimmy Dore Show talked with Thomas Frank about his book, Listen Liberal, about the failures and betrayals of the Democratic Party over the last several decades. Professor Richard Wolf on Economic Update discussed Nancy Pelosi's casual dismissal of the push to question capitalism from the left. The Majority Report highlighted a clip of Keith Ellison's call to reset the future of the Democratic Party. Our activism for today is promoting Democracy Springs' efforts in support of Keith Ellison's bid for chair of the DNC. And the Young Turks just explained the breakdown of the Democratic Party and announced the campaign for the Justice Democrats. You can find links to each of these segments in the show notes for easy reference and sharing. And now, we'll hear from you.
10: Hi, my name is Amanda Krause. I live in Asheville, North Carolina, and I'm from Washington, D.C. I'm calling because the Equal Rights Amendment is in the process of hopefully being ratified in a couple of states. We have bill proposed in North Carolina, and it's in the Senate and the Rules Committee, the Senate Rules Committee and the House Rules Committee. And hopefully, Illinois and Nevada are going to be passing it also which means that we'll have enough states to ratify the Constitution for the first time since they decided how much Congress people get paid and that women can no longer legally be discriminated against in the Constitution. If you have questions about this, you can see EqualMeansEqual.com and watch the documentary Equal Means Equal on Amazon, iTunes, and Netflix, or go to EqualRightsAmendment.org and find a local chapter in your state to join and help people organize and surround this movement so that we can give women equal rights and fight gender discrimination so that we can close the pay gap and help out sex trafficked children and also a bunch of other things that women have to face on the day-to-day and um, we won't have discrimination legal on the level of the Supreme Court. So Please check out those references and do your part as an active citizen. Thank you.
11: Hi, Jay. This is Amanda from Snohomish, Washington. I've been a longtime listener, but this is my first time calling in. I wanted to talk about the change in dialogue that I'm seeing in the right. On places like Imager, Twitter, especially Facebook, I'm noticing some really disturbing stuff. Comments that say that liberals are violent Nazi fascists, entire conversations about how liberals are going to be shot in the streets, that everyone who isn't conservative and white should just leave the country. And maybe the most upsetting for me are growing comments about a civil war. I've asked some of my friends about it, and they can't give me any straight answers or won't. We would have to be blind not to see that this country is divided. But with that said, it appears to me that casual conversation is crossing the divide between verbal arguments and outright threats of physical violence. Looking at the protester that was shot on the UW campus by a Milo supporter, looking at the laws that are being passed giving drivers a hall pass to run over protesters. Given the chain emails that are asking white men to stand up and defend our country from communist libtards who want to make them socialist slaves for their greater glory of their hero, Donald Trump, I'm just losing hope. There are a lot of dark things happening now. There are things happening in Washington, D.C. right now that are really terrifying. But this is seriously degrading my spirit. I don't know how I can talk to people and share ideas without the fear that they might be someone who's looking to be the first martyr in a new civil war. I feel like I might have to fear for my life when I'm going out protesting. I do it anyway, but the fear is there. I would really like to hear any commentary you might have or any suggestions from your other listeners. Thanks for listening.
12: Hey Jay, this is John and I'm calling from New York. I just wanted to say I really appreciate your comments on the fragility as a, as a straight white guy. That definitely resonated with me. And, I agree. It's something you just got to buck up every once in a while. But I do want to point out one other thing about Hillary, and I'm probably not the only one who feels this way. I spent eight years in the Middle East, and uh, that vote for me would have been a hard one, whereas Jill Stein wouldn't. A lot of people in this country um, want to talk a lot about privilege, and I think it's an important conversation to have. But voting for a person who was for every military incursion that she had the opportunity to go for that in fact had to be talked back on some of them and also was pro-drone strikes, it's really an American privilege to vote for someone like that because you're not a child in the Middle East. You're not someone who has to be in a neighborhood where there are going to be U.S. bombs falling on them and bullets shooting at them. So I understand the, the whole sort of you know, it's a tough decision. I mean, clearly, Trump is just beyond the pale, horrible monster. But to say that Hillary is also not a frightfully bad person, it's an easy comment to make inside the US. But if you live anywhere in the Middle East or North Africa, there's a much harder statement to make. So I just want to put that perspective out there. Maybe I'm a little farther to the left than most folks. I mean, Bernie might be a step to the right of me. Um, I wouldn't necessarily call myself a pacifist, but on the other side of things, how many people, how many people have we killed over the last eight years? How, how many nations did we invade? How many bombs did we drop? I don't know what to say, Jack. I just feel like they' they're not these aren't cartoons. These are people. So someone having some real moral issues with voting for someone like Hillary Clinton, who a lot of neocons really like, I don't think makes it a, a total privilege issue unless you, like I said, want to take that larger context. Is the privilege of an American who's not going to be under siege or attack with a leader like that. Um, it, it's tough. Anyway, the worst thing that could happen did happen if we got the, the worst possible case scenario. So I really hope the Democratic Party can put forward a true liberal in the next election. And someone who's anti-war and maybe we can spend some more money at home and work on social justice and work on education and the environment and things that really matter. Sorry, it's a bit of a rant. I just get a little passionate about this. You know, having lived there and and having seen the destruction firsthand, I can promise everyone those those are real children that are dying out there and voting for someone who's pro those wars. it, It should be a complicated decision for anyone walking into a booth. No one should feel good about that. All right. Thanks, Jay. I can't tell you how much I appreciate the show. I really love it. Thanks so much. Take
6: care. Bye.
1: Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to the volunteers who helped gather clips to make this show possible. Thanks to Amanda Hoffman for all of her work on our social media outlets and activism segments. And thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you'd like to leave a comment, question, or explanation of something so we all understand it better, simply record a message at 202-999-3991. A couple of thoughts in response to John, who we just heard from. I I essentially agree with everything he said— except I would say it differently. Uh, let, let's put it that way. Uh, I. It sounds like we're pretty much in tune with each other politically. Uh, I have the same thoughts about Hillary Clinton. I also think I would probably be slightly left of Bernie Sanders if I had to lay out all of our policy positions and figure out where we stand. The only thing where, where I uh, would differ is in my description of how I feel about voting. I, I totally get what he's saying, uh, and, and completely endorse uh, the idea he's putting forward about basically the privilege of being American at a time when it is not a good thing to be on the other end of American foreign policy. But basically, the privilege that Americans have is that America, up to this point, has never uh, focused their guns uh, militarily inward, <laughs> Now, we could get into a whole conversation about uh, police violence and targeting of communities and COINTELPRO, pro and uh, yes, yes, yes. So, in certain cases, it doesn't help you to be American at all, and the American government will go after you. But for now, we're talking about foreign policy and this particular election. So, as John is saying, it's a very privileged perspective to be able to vote for Hillary Clinton, knowing that her foreign policy choices would not have uh, impacted you personally at your home. Your child is probably not going to be at the end of one of those you know, drone targets. That said, for me, that still doesn't translate to the the uh, huge amount of hesitancy about voting the way John was describing. I, I, I subscribe to the voting strategy that it should take you no more than two minutes to decide who to vote for, and then you set the election aside and focus back on activism, Congress, influencing politicians, trying to recruit new politicians, and all of the other groundwork that goes into running a democratic society. I think that those people like John and you know many other people I've heard from and have heard talk on their shows all throughout this election season who are super well-informed— and just, you know, agonizing about their vote, I see those people as misunderstanding what a vote is. I think that it's very easy to get tricked into the idea that a vote is an endorsement of a person or every one of their policies. I don't think that is the case at all. I think that a vote is a tool, very plain and simple. You vote in the best strategic way you can. And then as I said, move on, because voting is the absolute minimum you need to do to be involved in society. So instead of saying that I need to, you know, agonize and and think deeply and hard about what it means to vote for someone like Hillary Clinton, what I would say is act intentionally and with eyes wide open. I don't have to hesitate to decide to vote for someone like Hillary Clinton over someone like Donald Trump. But I'm not going to do it blindly. I'm going to act intentionally and know exactly what I'm doing and why. I'm not blind to those foreign policy implications. I just know that the alternative is worse, and then I will immediately focus my attention on activism and all of the levers of power in a democracy to try to mitigate all of the negative aspects of the person who eventually uh, gets into office, and enhance any of the positive aspects. I think problems arise in elections when uh, very well-informed people of conscience confuse their vote with being akin to signing away their soul and endorsing every eventual action uh, that candidate takes when they eventually, if they do, get into office. Uh, That is obviously not the case. And the flip side is also true. If you get your person in office blindly and you do not know what policies they are going to pursue and you think, well, good, my person won. Now I can sit back and assume that everything they're going to do is going to be in line with what I want or what is good for our country or the world in general. That is also incredibly dangerous and damaging, so I don't think the act of deciding who to vote for should be a very strenuous mental exercise for you, but that absolutely cannot be where your engagement ends. That has to be only where it begins, and of course, the political landscape we find ourselves in is the best evidence we've had to this point in a generation or more as always keep the comments coming in the number again 202-999-3991 that's going to be it for today thanks to everyone for listening thanks to those who support the show by becoming a member or making one-time donations as that is absolutely how the program survives of course everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it and leaving glowing reviews on itunes and stitcher help us in our mission to aggregate and amplify the best progressive media by joining up with us on facebook and twitter and sharing all of the great content we're putting out there and for details on the show at
2: One